Tom, I got a question for you. Eric, hit me with your question. Picture in your mind someone you hate. All right, done. An enemy done of yours. Done. Oh, man, there's so many. Countless. They've never met me, but they are my enemy. Just pick one. We don't need more right. than one. Now right. imagine they're dead. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Just watch Tom melt on the screen <laughs> over, over video chat. Just watched him ooze into a pile of orgasmic wonder. Mmm. Ooh, creamy. He was so happy. Mm. Ooh, yucky. Spray All right, so it's... Tom, now that they're dead, now that this person that you hate is dead. Yeah. Do you still hate him? Yeah. Do you still want to, like, tell everyone that you hate him? Is it still, like, important yeah. to you yeah. that... Do you still want to tell people that they were a bad person? Like, is it really important to you that everyone knows that this person... Was a bad person? Oh, it's extremely crucial to my whole ethos approaching this man. Well, Tom, you might have, you might find a kindred spirit in a man who went by the name of Stephen. Can I get a last name? No. <laughs> All right, then. Fuck me, I guess. And fuck Steven, too. Why not? You want to know why? Why? Steven's a pope. Welcome to Big Time Whoopsies. My name is Eric McAdams, and this is a podcast about incompetence. Each week, I, your master of disaster, will take you through a story from history involving massive incompetence, and I tell it to a friend of mine. This week, the guest is four-dimensional Tesseract, Tom Lockney. Absolutely. Say hi, Tom. Hi. Hi, it's me, four-dimensional Tesseract. <laughs> You're the master of disaster. And not on this episode, but typically I am a master of ceremony, so we're yeah. both masters of something. In other realms, he's like known a as the master belt. of ceremony, specifically the realm of King Me, a podcast on the Major Cast Network. That's true. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me back on Big Time Whoopsies. I always love being here. Yeah, you're my first four-time guest. Oh, fucking hell yeah. No, I other really people, am a Other people had caught up to you. Other people had guested three times, but you're the first four-time guest. That's right, everybody. Fucking, hey, you know what? Watch the throne. It can change at any moment. I, I have no ego in this, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> but I do enjoy looking down on you. Mm, from my, atop my uh, Pope's chair. <laughs> oh, look at this. Four, four men are lifting me up on high. Four the men as many Peter. as times I've guested on Big Time Whoopsies. All right, okay, all right. How are we doing today, Tom? Uh, you know what? It's been a lot of ups and downs, but I'm happy to be here. I almost okay. got attacked yesterday, had to go to the DMV today. It's been a whole deal. It's been a week, and it's only Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, who, I mean, really, like, the going to the DMV, just a perfect Tuesday. Just a, who could ask for anything better than that? I saw a DMV employee call a man a dumbass. It was fucking great. Eric. I feel like at some point you like 
you're sitting there under that like fluorescent lighting in the DMV and you just realize like this is if if there is a hell that this is probably what it's like I thought a fight was going to break out and I uh, crouched down as I read The Dead Zone by Stephen King <laughs> is that for the next episode of King Me? it sure is check it out Lenny's gonna be on it from Ooh. the filmographers <laughs> Lenny who is one of the co-hosts of the filmographers I don't know anything about The Dead Zone at all uh, a man falls into a coma and has second sight and is played by Christopher Walken in the film. Hmm. Well, it's funny you mention things that are dead, Tom. Yeah? We begin this story with a birth. Mm. Except here's the problem. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We don't know when this birth happened. We know around when it happened. And we don't know what this baby was named. So... Baby age undetermined is when we begin the story. Sometime around the year 816, supposedly. 816, which is a long time ago. A man, or I guess a baby at this point, a baby who would become a man is born. (laughs) As many are. We don't know his name. We don't know his birth name. We don't really know what he did with his time or what kind of person he was. Because this is 816, and that's a long time ago, okay? They're... And also, this is after, you know, the whole literacy fad came and went. So <laughs> Yeah, 202 years ago was really known for its record-keeping. 202? No, I said 816. Oh, 816. Oh, man, 2002. 2,200. About, tw- about 1,202 years about ago. 1,202. Listen, math's not my strong suit. This is why I do podcasts. <laughs> Took me three times and I still didn't get it. <laughs> so, a little over 1,200 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Sometime around this time. <laughs> <laughs> Guy was born. Yeah, he sure was. The thing is, it's 816. I'm going to say that one more time. 816. (laughs) And when you get born in, uh, we believe he was born in or around Rome, Italy. When you get born in that time period, the only way that you can really make your name get into the history books is if you get involved with powerful people. That's why this man does not enter the history books until... 864 when he's nearing or somewhere around 50 years old because that's when pope nicholas the first makes this man the cardinal bishop of porto porto is a suburbicarian see of the catholic church define suburbicarian suburbicarian i think it just means like literally just like a suburb is around the city suburban it's around oh, the city okay. of Rome. Suburbicarian sees of the Catholic Church are the uh, dioceses uh, right near Rome. The diocese, yes. Yeah. Uh, there are there are seven of them to this day. Okay. Making him a cardinal bishop made him a high-ranking member, and he takes the name Formosus. Ooh. You know what that means. That's a portmanteau for and mimosas. Hey, 
I'm the fun cardinal. Ooh. <laughs> Don't Come worry, you over. can tell me. <laughs> what do you get up to in your spare time? Confess your sins, my son, and and have a drink. Little disco ball in his confessional. Yeah, he's 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 blowing a whistle. <laughs> it's got an air horn. Does not have a shirt on, but boy is he diesel. <laughs> Doubt it. Formosus becoming a cardinal bishop makes him a high-ranking member of the Catholic Church, and for the next decade or so, he was mainly used as a diplomat, dispatched to help bishops in other areas settle disputes, or meet with rulers, or convey high-level invitations to the rulers. Okay. Uh, And the thing you have to know about the Catholic Church at this time in history is that it's kind of awkward... Only in the last couple centuries before this has it developed into a real secular power instead of just holding power over the Christian religion. Hmm, okay. And it's largely been on the back of recognition from rulers, Constantine, Charlemagne, the Holy Roman Empire, that kind of deal. Network. They network. Yeah. It's on, they've only really come up in the world because of their friends. This leads to power struggles because suddenly there's this, there are these, you know, there are these old dudes in Rome who hold sway over million, over thousands of people's religious beliefs, and that makes them powerful. And that means that different factions within the church start supporting different rulers out in Europe. Different factions outside the church in Europe start supporting different popes inside the church. It becomes kind of a mess. And at this point, we're about to see the infighting come to a boiling point. And guess who's right at the center of it? Our little, our diesel, our chiseled cardinal friend. Our cool pope for Moses, except he's not pope yet. And he's got a long way to go. Because Pope Nicholas I, the guy who made him a bishop, dies in 867. His death kicks off a period of squabbling in which popes are elected in increasingly corrupt, shady ways. Because at this point there was no protocol for electing a pope. It was just kind of like, yeah, this guy. Who can spit into a cup the most? You're the pope now. Who can spit the farthest? Throw a communion wafer like a frisbee. We're going to we're going to play frolf with communion wafers. <laughs> and that's how we'll figure out who the next pope is. So at this point, outside forces start backing different religious figures to be made pope. Uh, and pretty much as long as one noble family bullied the others into accepting their their chosen candidate, that was just how it went. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that tracks. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a ripe time for outside forces to kind of muscle in on the process. This period where, uh, outside influence pretty much controlled the, the, the doctrines of the Catholic church, specifically the popes, uh, would last almost 200 years after the death of Pope Nicholas I. It is known as the Saculum Obscurum. However, here's a fun fact. Some really spicy historians thought that this name wasn't evocative enough for what they thought was the nadir of the entire papacy. All right, what did they think it was? They called it the Pornocracy. Oh, okay. Well, you have my attention, Eric. What are we going to be talking about? (laughs) They called it the Pornocracy. This is... You can colloquially refer to this period of 200 years in the Catholic Church as the pornocracy, and historians will know what you're talking about. Excellent. Excellent and good. 
It is also occasionally known as the rule of the harlots. Mm. So I'm going to go ahead and guess that this was uh, a time period where there was a lot of fucking. There was a I lot mean, of carnal passion in the church. That happened all the time anyway. That's not news. All right. So this, what makes what makes this period in history so porny, Eric? They call it the pornocracy, the rule of the harlots, not really because of all of the fucking that was happening, although that, you know, that happened. It's more because they they thought that the the, pap- the office of the papacy was getting used by outside pi- powers, exploited for political ends, so they might as well be harlots, I guess. Okay. It's, it's mostly just historians being like, this is what I think of this part of the history of the Pope. All the right, papacy, sure. I should say. But anyway, yeah, really, the pornocracy, it's a thing. Look it up. So after Nicholas I comes Hadrian II, who mostly upholds Nicholas's positions. So Formosus is still looked on with favor while he is in power. But then he died, and along comes Pope John VIII, who does not get along so hot with Formosus, let me tell you. Oh, yeah? What's the beef? Well, he orders Formosus to deliver the invitation to a man named Charles, who would later be known as Charles the Bald. He delivered the invitation to Charles the Bald to become the Holy Roman Empire because he was the king of the Franks. This is what they would do. They would kind of choose who the next Holy Roman Emperor would be based on, you know, whatever smattering of loyal rulers there were available. But Formosus was apparently part of a faction in the Catholic Church that did not support Charles the Bald becoming emperor because he flees Rome pretty soon after in fear of being punished for his views. We're gonna make you wear a wig. (laughs) That's right, motherfucker. Try being taken seriously when you're Charles the Bald and you've got hair, loser. Charles the Bald did not flee Rome. Formosus fled Rome. Oh, damn it. Well... Fuck, that was such a fun little goof. I'm so mad. (laughs) Well, okay, so Formosus is out of of the picture. Tell me more about how he's doing. Formosus runs runs away from Rome because he's afraid of getting punished by the Pope for what he thinks. Uh, And the problem here is that he's a bishop from one of the neighborhoods surrounding Rome. Yeah. Like, he has no business being anywhere else unless the Pope tells him to go there. So the Pope orders him to come back to Rome, and when he's ordered to do that, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, he's fleeing for his life here. Yeah. Pope John VIII pretty clearly viewed Formosus as something of a rival to the papacy, mm. because, and on the basis of Formosus not returning... And using the charge of uh, Formosus openly aspiring to become Pope, which was not okay at this time. You weren't allowed to want to try to, to like try to become the Pope. That wasn't, that wasn't kosher. To, to subsume the papus, if you will. On the basis of him aspiring to the papacy, he excommunicates Formosus. Which is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That was like it back then, basically. That was harsher than the death penalty for people like Formosus because it cut them off from all services involving the Catholic Church. And, like, it basically, like, under their logic means, like, you ain't going to heaven because you can't. Fuck you. You're excommunicated. God damn, that's fucking brutal. (laughs) 
You're not... <sighs> I mean, it's brutal if you believe in Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, but he does, so he's devastated. He thinks he's going to hell now. Listen, yeah. if, if I believed in hell and you were like, I'm the person who decides whether or not <laughs> you go there, and you're going there, I'd be like, this is bad. I might... <laughs> I would be like, I guess I have to kill the Pope now, I guess? Because otherwise I'm not getting into heaven. <laughs> I, if you kill and eat the Pope, you get to go to heaven. <laughs> All dogs and people who eat the Pope go to heaven. Look out. Benedict? No, he stopped. He resigned. I don't know who the current Pope is, but I'm going to oh, eat Pope him. Pope Francis. That's what you were going for. I'm going to eat him just in case. Okay. All right, good luck. Look out. So, Formosa still has some political allies, but he lays low for now. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, remember how I talked about how the papacy was increasingly coming under the influence of outside forces? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't very convincing, was it? I do, I do remember you Wasn't really expecting this, like, long, pensive thing, like, Yes, I do remember that thing you told me ten minutes ago. <laughs> I'm a thoughtful person, what can I say? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, well, outside forces were not super happy with Pope John VIII. And one by one, those had, who had supported him quietly withdrew that support. Because uh, he was kind of exhausting the treasury and... Uh, the Saracens were raiding, and he di- and people didn't think he was doing enough about that, and all these kinds of problems. People weren't happy with him. Oh man, you know, I really, I really prefer the original Pope, but I will admit, uh, Pope John the Third is definitely the best one. But I'm very excited for Pope John the Ninth. Pope goes to hell. <laughs> I liked Pope John <laughs> Paul because then I want Pope John Paul George, yeah. and then I want Pope John Paul George Ringo. <laughs> That was a terrible joke, Tom. I mean, so is mine. They were all bad. Yeah. I'm glad we came to this agreement together. Yes. We're all eating. We're both eating each other's poop right now. So eventually no one is left to protect Pope John VIII. And he gets assassinated in 882. Oh, damn. How'd he go out? How'd they do him? Not really sure. I couldn't. There's a lot of like events that seem like. Real, like really big deals in this story and I just couldn't get any details beside from, aside from like this happened I think we can reasonably rule out gun I feel like gun's <laughs> not on the table yeah not not a thing yet maybe I mean sling possibly or knife I've most likely just like stabbed oh man classic doing him like Caesar uh, and most likely he was assassinated by his own clerics which is Ooh. fun Oh man, that that must have been a fun scene. Like the Pope in a huge, massive, beautiful church, and then a bunch of old white men kind of slowly hobble up and just stick him. <laughs> no way to know which person said any of those moans. No, not at all. Identical, all of them. So this also kicks off a lot of factional infighting within the church. Uh, people start getting killed. One papal official gets murdered inside the uh, the basilica at one point. That's wow. pretty fun. Yeah, uh, that comes. That'll be there in a little bit. But anyway, John the Eighth is dead. Then comes Marinus the First, 
who was only pope for a year before he died, but before he died, he reinstated Formosus as a bishop. Oh, okay. Well, hey, got some skin back in the game. Hell yeah. Yeah. My boy. His his excommunication was earlier relaxed, so he was just, you know, barred from returning to Rome and becoming a bishop anymore. Okay. Uh, And then Marinus comes in and goes like, you know what? You're a bishop again. Come back to Porto. We miss you. After Marinus I, who dies very soon, um, come Hadrian III and Stephen V, neither of whom matter very much, um, but except that, you know, violence continues during their thing. Like I said, there was an official murdered inside the basilica, and the I think the widow of the guy who died was then whipped naked in the streets of Rome for some reason. There's no reason given for, like, any of this happening. Like... Hadrian the Third blinded a guy as a punishment at one point. Let me let me tell you something, Eric, and I don't mean to come too strong about any some part of religion or whatever, but as somebody who was raised in the Catholic Church, uh, they go out of their way to hurt people sometimes. Yeah, yeah, they 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 kind of figure out good ways to do it. I know I've got my own personal biases, but hey, what can I say? It's my lived experience. <laughs> Take that, Catholics! <laughs> this Muppet hates Catholicism. This Muppet's experiences are valid. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so that all happens during Hadrian the Third and Stephen the Fifth. They they're not that important otherwise. And then after Stephen V, gets, guess who's elected to be Pope? Stephen VI. Stephener. Formosus is elected Pope right after this. <laughs> Man, you really gave me an underhand toss, and I I tried to throw a football at it. I, d- I don't even know what sport we're playing anymore. <laughs> we'll get to Stephen VI, though. He might even be the Stephen I told you about at the beginning. Mm. And obviously, I mean a soccer ball, everybody. I know. i know (laughs) i know the difference between a baseball and a shuttlecock you can't fool me (laughs) you don't know what the second one is do you space penis i don't know it's the thing you hit in badminton hmm Bums me out that there's that N in badminton and nobody says it. Don't don't look at me, man. <laughs> Let's take a break there, actually. Okay. With Formosus finally assuming the role of Pope. Ascending to the throne. Yeah. Good for him. We're happy for him. Good job, Formosus. Hey, Eric McAdams. It's me, Liam Sr. I am so hungover and feel very sick. Do you have anything you can give me? <laughs> How about a weekly news roundup podcast where I tell you all the horrible news stories from the day, from politics to entertainment to anything else, maybe even some nice, fun, good stories. Who knows? I guess I'll just listen to the Sunday Morning Hangover Cure every Sunday on the Major Cast Network or wherever you get podcasts. That sounds like a good idea. Maybe, maybe listen to it and then take a nap. I'm dying. Wow, what a great ad that was for another show on the Major Cast Network. Ooh, I wonder what it was. I won't know until I listen to the episode. That I will. I won't know me. until shortly before that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric. So where we last left off, everybody's favorite lit 
Pope, Formosus, had just descended to the papacy. Yeah, good job, Formosus. You could say that he had shed his carapace to show his beautiful papacy. Formosus' time as pope was mostly uneventful, but he did make enemies. Specifically, uh, there were there were multiple claimants to the crown of the Holy Roman Empire, and he crowned Lambert of Spoleto in 892, although he wanted to give it to Arnulf of Carinthia. And then after that, he crowned Arnulf and gave him a secret invitation to invade Spoleto and knock Lambert out of contention, basically. Okay. The problem was, as Arnulf marched his armies from Germany towards Spoleto, in the process of marching over to Spoleto to take on Lambert and his mother, Agaltrude. <laughs> oh. My. God. Yes, yeah, a good That's one, isn't it? a great mom name. I know, right? Nobody fucks with that mom. The problem is, Arnulf gets a stroke on the way over, and it paralyzes him, and he has to return to Germany. Oh, God. And Formosus dies soon after that. So Formosus dies, and Lambert, his mother, Agaltrude... What? 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 I'm sorry, I've been so invested in his story. I've been so invested in this fun, trendy drinking pope, and you killed him, Eric? Yep. He's dead now, Tom. Fuck. Oh, this is just like Game of Thrones. Dies in 896. And the thing is, Lambert, his mother, Agaltrude, and his maybe cousin and possibly brother and maybe both, uh, Guy the Fourth. Whoa. <laughs> hey, man, I've done the incest thing already. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, man, it that that style of information, that, that, like, particular flavor of historical nugget never stops being less heady or <laughs> chunky or yucky to swallow. <laughs> Well, we're not sure whether he was his cousin or his brother or both, but there's also a guy named Guy the Fourth of Spoleto. Yes, literally, his name is just Guy. Guy Four. Yeah, Lambert, Agaltrude, and Guy all survive. Lambert takes keeps the throne of the Holy Roman Empire, and all of a sudden, Formosus' enemies are in power, and he's dead. Damn. I mean, that's how, ain't that how it always seemed to go? Formosus was succeeded by Pope Boniface the Sixth who was pope for 15 whole days before he died. How did he die? How did he go out? The official listed reason is from gout, but he might have been assassinated. Mmm. Assassinated by gout. Yeah, they, they, his enemies engineered his gout. Very strategically gave him gout. Yeah. It was a long con. So after Pope Boniface VI, after he gets out of the way, because like he's there for about a minute, uh, then comes a guy who calls himself Stephen the Sixth. That's the name he chooses. Mm -hmm. Stephen the Sixth is a bit of a wild one, and he's friends with Lambert and Agaltrude and Guy the Fourth. And obviously, they all like they all they all liked Formosus not one bit. All right. So would it be inaccurate to call Stephen the Sixth the Beyonce of popes? What? Why? <laughs> he's the wild one. Is Beyonce the wild one? I don't know. She's very fierce. I feel like her whole thing is that she's like the reigning queen. 
I guess, but which I guess also... is kind of Stephen the Sixth, but like among popes, he's not like more regal than others. I guess so. Well, all right. Well, he's a more boring pope to me now. So none of them like Formosus, but they're all kind of weirdly tied to him. Stephen the Sixth was made bishop by Formosus. Okay. He came to be the pope in the same way that Formosus did, which was technically not allowed. You weren't supposed to go from being a bishop to pope in those days. That wasn't supposed to happen. Well, Eric, there's one thing about the Catholic Church that I know. It's that rules can be uh, opportunistically bent. Yes, this is true. But neither of them were supposed to do it. And both of them had like questions to their legitimacy because of that. Yeah. And for a long time, what happens next, historians thought was engineered by Lambert and Agaltrude. Mm-hmm. We don't think that that's actually true, and this is partially because, and this is mainly because Lambert was crowned by Formosus. However, some historians think that Guy the Fourth might have been involved because some historians think that uh, maybe Guy thought that Formosus's memory should be tarnished. Maybe it's not enough that he's dead. Maybe maybe he should be delegitimized somehow. How can Stephen the Sixth accomplish this for his friend Guy? Do you think? I mean, there. They're part of, like, one of the most powerful political apparatuses, like, in the history of the fucking planet. Like, I feel like they can just talk to the right history book writers and be like, Formosus love to, one, drink piss. Two, play in a big pool of piss. Three, he liked to suck on them eggs. Mmm. Oh, <laughs> Testimony. Testimony from Pope Stephen VI. I would walk in on Formosus and he would be sucking on raw eggs. Well, here's one way they could accomplish it. And it's I know it's not really what uh, you said, but it's kind of in line. One way to accomplish this might be to exhume Formosus's body from its tomb and put his corpse on trial for becoming Pope illegally. That is that is the most buck wild nasty thing I've ever heard in my life. I would never see this is this is why I should work agit prop for the papacy is because then I wouldn't make anybody touch a yucky dead body. Well, Steve did not take this uh, advice to heart because this is exactly what Steve did in January of 897. So how did they make him sit? up and not like goosh everywhere i'll get i'll get to that in just a second what's interesting about this is he's putting formosus on trial for becoming pope illegally in the same way that stephen did Mm -hmm. however the clever thing about this is that if he declares formosus's papacy null and void in this synod this trial that's upcoming if he does that he retroactively makes his own papacy legitimate because by making Formosus's papacy illegitimate, it oh, it damn. nullifies the, making Stephen the bishop before he was pope. So therefore, he wouldn't be a bishop before he was pope. I'll be a hundred percent honest. You lost me a little bit there, but it sounded uh, uh, intentional enough that like that's pretty fucking clever. It's fairly clever. It doesn't make any sense to, like, a normal person. But basically, if Stephen successfully declares Formosus' papacy null and void, it makes his own papacy better, despite the fact that he did the same thing he's putting Formosus on trial for. 
Okay, yeah. No, that actually that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Still still yucky that they get a, a dead body up. So they exhume the corpse of Formosus. <laughs> they put <laughs> they they sit him up in a chair in his in his sacred vestments. Oh god, you're you'll never get the stink out of those robes. They'll be covered in No, like, he was he yuck. was buried in them. Tom, he was buried in them. They're still going to be covered in yuck. Yeah, he's been dead for seven months at this point. Go, my lord. Yeah. So he's, like, putrefied at that point, right? Yeah, there are paintings of this, too. Oh, my god. Not from the time. The artists had to use their imagination. Oh, yeah, but still, this is so fucking ghoulish. Like, Yeah, literally. (laughs) Well, no, they don't eat the dead, I guess. He was buried in these sacred robes. He gets set up in a chair. A deacon is appointed to serve as Formosus' Formos- corpse's <laughs> legal defense. So let me try. Let me take that one again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a deacon is appointed to serve as Formosus' corpses. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Formosus' corpses. Formosus' corpses. Say, Formosus's wait, corpses. Say it for, can you say it four times fast for me? Formosus' corpses, Formosus' corpses, Formosus' corpses, Formosus' corpses. Ooh. <laughs> a deacon is appointed to serve as Formosus' corpses' legal defense during what will come to be known as the Cadaver Synod. Wow. I mean, that's a fucking great name. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the title of the episode. This sounds like this sounds like a fucking Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. And then cardinals are brought in to be co-judges of this trial. And so it, you know, it's like by that thing it should be like a real trial, but mostly what happens is the deacon just stands there while Stephen the 6th, the pope, screams accusations at Formosus at a dead body, at yeah. a dead body. He's like you did this and you did this and that's why you are a bad person. It is, it is incredible to me, like, this is one of those moments in history, uh, kind of like the one that we live through every single day when we, like, check Twitter, where it's like, how is nobody, like, this, this can't, we, this can't continue. Like, <laughs> this, this is so absurd, it, it just has to end, because, like, this, this can bear nothing but ill. That, well, you're, you might be onto something in this case. I mean, they're... Ta- wait, wait, literally? Because they're handling a dead body. So, like, everybody is just going to be breathing in dead body stink the whole time. Yeah, it's going to be just fun times for everyone involved. And funnily enough, this corpse that can't defend itself is declared guilty. I'm shocked. Yeah. As punishment, for Moses's corpse is stripped of its sacred garments. His three blessing fingers on his right hand are cut off. Good lord. And then he is reburied as a layman outside of the basilica. What the what the fuck is wrong with people? What the fuck is the matter with these institutions? This was not enough for Stephen. Jesus Christ, how? How could this not have been enough? Stephen has people re-exhume the body. No. And then chuck it in the Tiber River. Okay, you know what? All right, that's pretty simple and to the point. That's yeah. fine. But still, though, like, what the fuck? <laughs> ah, shit, its fucking arm fell off because it's been dead for nine fucking months now because we put it on trial for two months, and now we threw it in the river, and now I've got arm and inside dead man goop 
all over me mm-hmm. all over me yes. uh, my 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 partner left me two weeks ago yeah for this very reason so news of this gets out to the public of rome and they're not impressed by steven's actions i i should certainly hope not <laughs> they thought that what he had done would incur the wrath of god and this is largely because of several things that happened soon after the synod oh oh awesome First, there was apparently some kind of earthquake immediately after the synod that damaged the building it was held in. Then, after then afterwards, a few months later in the summer, the Lateran Basilica was destroyed in a fire. Finally, commoners found Formosus's body washed ashore on the Tiber and gave oh, it a proper yeah. burial. And then, tales start to emerge that actually the corpse had begun to talk. And, and walk around as though it were alive. Okay. Because it had been blessed, right. you see, by God! Yeah, I see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good lord. That's disgusting. That's so gross. This whole story <laughs> yucked me out, Eric. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you now. This all, is so gross. All of this is enough to cause a public uprising. Good. The uprising ends with Stephen VI thrown in jail. <laughs> Good! Good! Yeah. Ends with Stephen VI getting thrown in jail where he would soon be strangled to death. But that leaves the question. Who's gonna be the papist? Should the cadaver synod be upheld in its condemnation of Formosus? Oh, that's actually a very interesting question. I mean, like... I mean, the answer is no. Like, I guess it doesn't even really matter. Right? Because none of it's real. <laughs> the church isn't real. Like, I know the church is real, but like, the church is just a bunch of dudes who were like, this is mine. This is mine now. And then everybody was like, all right, cool. Like, sure, why the fuck not? It's none of it's real. They don't have any authority. <laughs> if a pope, if the current pope walked up to me and was like, can I have your apartment? I would be like, no, you're the Pope. You don't have any authority because you're not real. Your authority's <laughs> not is real, real to me. He is real. His authority's not real to me. Yeah, of course it's not. <laughs> this was a good outburst. By the end of the year, uh, the Cadaver Synod's decision was overturned by Pope Theodore II, who was only Pope for 19 days before he died himself. John IX did the same thing. Oh, and here's a fun thing about Theodore II. He was actually the second Pope after uh, Stephen VI to be Pope in that same year. The other guy died after like 90 days. He died after 19, but in those 19 days, he overturned the Cadaver Synod. The next Pope, John IX, upheld that decision, found the body of Formosus and brought it back into the basilica where it was put in the tomb it belonged in. Uh, John IX also excommunicated seven cardinals involved in the original synod. Wow, gotta say, gotta say, if I was a member of the Catholic Church, every single day I'd get in my little pew and be like, please God, I don't want to be the Pope. Don't (laughs) let me be the Pope. They make it like, they make it like, 20 days tops. Don't let me be the Pope. <laughs> yeah. Some of them make them le- make it less than that. After, so then it should be over, right? It really should be. They overturn the cadaver synod twice. Like, they do it They do it two different times. 
first Theodore the second has his synod overturning the the cadaver synod then John the ninth has a bigger synod over like upholding that synod's decision I'm saying the word synod a lot but then here's the problem a guy becomes pope in 904 his name he goes by Sergius the third and he was involved in the cadaver synod he was one Mm. of the co-judges he's one of the people who declared Formosus guilty all right, so how's I, I think things things don't look so good for him. It seems Sergius the Third uh, was part of the Cadaver Synod, and he overturns the decisions overturning the Cadaver Synod. I honestly, honestly, Eric, if you put a gun to my head right now and was like, "Who's on what side and what law <laughs> is currently being upheld?" I I would have like a complete fifty-fifty chance of guessing right. I have no fucking idea anymore. <laughs> Man, Catholic Church was run so well. So yeah, imagine they researching were this. Yeah, this sounds like a nightmare. It was not. It, it was not as easy. I thought it was going to be like, haha, I'll just go over what happened in the trial. But there are like no details because it happened eleven hundred years ago. Anyway, Sergius the Third overturns the overturns. He then dies. His successor takes over, and by this time, they've mostly forgotten about the cadaver synod. So no one ever nullifies Sergius's ruling that the cadaver synod was actually right. Yeah. But Sergius III also never re-exhumed Formosus. So he just stayed in his tomb with his same inscription. All Sergius really did was he changed the inscription on Stephen VI's tomb, which was basically like, Stephen VI was an idiot. And he changed it back to like, he was a great man, actually. Sure, why not? You know mm. what? If I was the Pope, I'd I'd fucking write ravioli, ravioli, give me the formioli on a fucking gravestone. Because I'm the Pope and I can do whatever I want, apparently. <laughs> and that is the end of the story of the Cadaver Synod. The Catholic Church no longer allows trials of dead people. I, I would imagine so. That'd be some pretty bad optics in the 21st century. <laughs> That's the story of the cadavers. And I'm sorry I killed off your your favorite character so early. I know. I was really bummed about it. That would be like if you, if you I don't know, if you killed Liv on iZombie and like halfway through season two. That's a really, that's a real, that's a deep pull for all you iZombie fans out there. Eric, I know you're not one, but hey, one of your <laughs> listeners might be. You never know. <laughs> uh, I, zo- I do know a fun fact about iZombie. Ooh, what about uh, iZombie is either showrun or created uh, by Gloria Calderon Kellett, mm-hmm. who is the wife of one of my favorite comics artists, Dave Kellett. Oh, cool. Yeah, he does he does Sheldon and Drive, and they're both very good comics that you should check out. Eric, do you, do you have a pickle for me? Uh, before we get to that, I would like to do a special thanks for my research materials. I relied heavily on the book... Uh, Keepers of the Keys to Heaven by Roger Collins, which was a succinct history of the parts of the papacy that I needed help with. Yeah, because, man, I can't fucking imagine researching this. Good Lord. Sometimes I have trouble finding things on media majors, and then I just, like, figure out which correct thing to Google, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, the Internet has it. Usually, I mean, I do, I do the vast majority of my research on just like Wikipedia. Fair, but I mean, like, you can't Google a pope. We all know this. 
You 100% can, actually. They've got, oh, really? Did you know they've got a Catholic encyclopedia all online? Damn. Yeah, I use oh. that, too. Oh, no, what I'm doing tonight. Mm-hmm. I wish there were, I just wish there were more details that I could be like, and then Pope Stephen VI, an actual pope, said this to the corpse of another pope. Yeah, wow. I bet you the the lost transcript, the lost scroll of the cadaver syndog is... <laughs> I know that's not what it was. The cadaver synecdoche, New York? <laughs> the cadaver trial. Yeah. I bet you the transcript of that would have been fucking bananas. It's two syllables, and I've said it so many times. So. I know, I know. You said it a whole bunch at one point in this particular story, and yet, here we are. Synod. Synod. Hey, okay, to be fair, I've never heard that word before. It's, okay. That's It's like a judicial hearing, but Catholic. Bah. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's not important. Yeah. So at the end of every episode, Tom, after a long story of incompetence on a grand scale, I'd like to give you a little story. Mm. Say the size of a pickle. A pickle for the knowing ones. Mm. Am I the knowing one? And today I'm actually gonna I'm gonna give you a uh, pickle that has no relation to what we just talked about. I'm a hundred percent fine with that. Could I not be further away. Exhausted hearing of the church. Because originally I had meant for this story to go along with the story I did last time about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because mm-hmm. it's sports related, and I had meant it to go along, but it didn't. Tom, Eric, you know what pole dancing is? Yes, I know what pole dancing is. I've seen movies. <laughs> what if I told you that there was a sport in India? That had existed for over a thousand years, or or about a thousand years. That was like pole dancing, only way better. Oh man! Well, well. Listen, I've seen movies, and I don't know what could be better than pole dancing. It's called malakamba. Yeah. And it is very similar to pole dancing, except the pole is much larger. It is only attached to the floor, not a ceiling. It tends to be done outdoors as well as indoors. So it's so. more like hugging a trunk. Except also the stuff that people can do on it is honestly very impressive. Yeah. As you might expect. Tom, I'm going to send you a video now. Ooh. Tom, the, the video that I just sent you mm-hmm. is of a Malakam athlete. Malakam is graded on performance. It's graded on athleticism. It's also something it can. It's also kind of a festival activity. Specifically, the video that I sent you isn't of a normal competitor of Malakam. The competitor that I sent you is blind. Whoa! Holy shit! This is really fucking impressive! Yeah, because it's Malakam has become a good sport for blind kids to take part in because it doesn't rely on visual stimuli. It relies on balance and feeling the pole. You don't actually need to see it to do it. Yeah, wow, this is awesome. This dude, like, managed to center of gravity his way up to the top and is like perched perfectly on it this is so dope yeah it's really impressive because it is blind kids doing pole dancing better than you know most pole dancers that you'll see in your life and malakam is not directly analogous to pole dancing i know it's just it's a much wider pole it tends to have a design on top there are also three different kinds of malakam oh my god other people are climbing on the first boy 
<laughs> oh my god, they're all climbing on each other. This is so fucking cool. You can you can find this video. It's called Mumbai Performance by Blind Children on Malakam. Malakam is spelled M-A-L-L-A-K-H-A-M-B. I apologize if I am pronouncing it incorrectly. And it's really impressive because it's 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 different from how pole dancing actually is, but it's this incredible kind of athleticism, this cool performance. And thinking about it like, yeah, it wouldn't you wouldn't actually need to see to be able to do it. And to, finding a sport that blind people can take part in so well is I think really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they they're they're like just going completely off of center of gravity and i i suppose also just like context of where your hands are on the pole so you know Mm -hmm. like where your body is in relation to it man that's really fucking cool good pickle Mm. yeah i normally i do something that related in some way to the uh to the story i just told but i felt bad because i didn't get to use it on the sports one ah fuck that thematic cohesion is for dorks and yeah and media majors co-hosts media majors co-hosts but not every (laughs) week (laughs) just most weeks just many so with that time you want to do some plugs yeah uh eric thank you so much for having me on another episode of big time whoopsies i always have a fucking great time on this podcast plugs you can listen to me on media majors a weekly podcast about major media where I talk about the culture of internet and video games. And uh, Liam Sr., another another wonderful member of the network, uh, talks about movies and television. I also do the podcast King Me, where I read through a Stephen King book that has been turned into a theatrical adaption and watch it with a guest and we focus on the movie and discuss. It's it's more like talking just generally about the stories Stephen King writes, which are inconsistent and <laughs> sometimes good, sometimes less so. You can also <laughs> catch some of my video game writing on the website nakedcriticism.com and if you just like fun hot takes on twitter you can follow me at uh thomas lockney i believe my username is currently pod gobbler comma thomas lockney that's l-o-u-g-h-n-e okay okay all right all right my name is eric mcadams you can find me on twitter at edaciously yours you can find my personal website at nocharacterissafe.com you can find me on other shows on the Major Cast Network. I've guested on King Me and Media Majors. Yeah. All great episodes. Not only that, I do a weekly news roundup show with Liam Sr. called Sunday Morning Hangover Cure, which you should check out if you need something for your Sunday morning routine really or good. your Sunday morning hangover or your Monday morning hangover. We don't judge. Yeah, that's it. Say goodbye, Tom. Bye, Tom. Couldn't resist. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major. <laughs>